Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Grace, you have been saved through faith. Now, I want to encourage you to write down this scripture reference. All of scripture is God-breathed and all of scripture is important, but there are a couple of verses that it's like, you should get that in you, right? Like John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him should have eternal life. You should get that in you. You should get it in you right? That is the core of everything. You guys want to hear a funny story? One time I was up here and I forgot John three sixteen. Like, not like forgot it, forgot it. I know John three sixteen. I've known it for a long time. It is like at the top of the list of if you're going to be a pastor or a preacher, you have to know John three sixteen. So I know it, but I got up here and I was like, John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world. And you guys were like, yeah. And I was like, the world he what did he love the world and then i just threw it over to you guys and i was like that what and you guys finished it for me and i was like that's the second part of that verse that's right i didn't really forget it you know your mind just like throws you sometimes ephesians 2 8 through 10 is one of those things you gotta get what this is and what this means in you. You gotta get what Paul is trying to teach the church in Ephesus here, and we're gonna talk about why it's important. Ephesians 2, eight through 10 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, and he's gonna remake this point, not a result of works so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. Paul is writing a letter and reminding them that Jesus came to totally upset the program that he was upsetting the way that they wanted to do things. And he was coming and he came to upset the order of things that they had believed before or the order of things that we kind of desire. Paul lays out for them here something that is central to our belief and to the, the tenet of our faith, that they are saved by grace, through faith, for good works by grace through faith for good works the order that he lays it out in is important the order that he lays it out in is critical there are some things that it's important that you get the steps in the right order part of the reason i love cooking is because if you mix the steps up a little bit it doesn't generally make that big of a difference in things everything comes out okay if you're baking it is important that you follow the steps in the proper order because the reactions that happen between the dry ingredients and the wet ingredients and all the different stuff it it makes a difference the order that 
You do it. Have you, like, have you ever had directions and somebody just gives them to you in willy-nilly any kind of order? Or when you receive directions to drive somewhere, does somebody give them to you from the start to the end? Yes, from the start to the end. No one has ever given you directions and just said, at some point, you're going to take a left turn, and at another point, you're going to take a right turn, and there's going to be a roundabout at some time in your drive. You're going to want to think, that would be absolutely ridiculous. You would be like, where do you think that I'm going? I can't just take these in any kind of day. It matters which way they come. You can't just throw directions at me in any kind of order that you want to. It matters which way you move through the directions. It matters which way we move through by grace, through faith, unto good works. But here's the thing. We like to get it flipped all around. If we're honest, if we're honest, just between us today, we still kind of like to believe that our good works build in us strong faith that release in our life grace that brings us into salvation. We try to flip the order around all the time. Like if I work at it long enough, and I work at it hard enough, and I work at it good enough that my faith will start to be strengthened, and my faith will rise up, as if my faith is something that I grow and I build in my life. And then that must release in my life a grace because God is so pleased with me for all of the magnificent things that I have done on his behalf in this world that his grace will be good enough for me. We try to build and switch and flip the order and change things around. Why do we do this? Because we're a little bit more comfortable with the idea that my works lead me into grace than we are that the grace leads me into works because I can control that thing. I can put my hands around it and it comforts me to know that I can reach out and I can control it on my own. It comforts me to believe that there's something I can do to try and achieve this faith and to try and reach this faith and to try and grasp onto this faith. There's something that I don't quite like about the idea that grace just comes first. That grace just opens up in front of me. It's a little bit too messy for me. It's a little bit too unclear for me. It's a little bit too just out there for everyone. And do we all have access to this grace? It's just like that, Jesus. You're just going to roll out this grace for everybody, anywhere. And we like things to feel a little bit tidier than that. And we want things to feel a little bit more clean cut than that. And we want things to appear a little bit better than that. And if we're honest, we want ourselves to appear a little bit better than that. And we want our neighbors to appear a little bit better than that. And we don't always want to have to uh, agree to the fact that there are people who have received grace who don't look like what we want them to look like yet because their grace has been rolled out in front of them before their good works have rolled out in front of them because 
because it was not their good works that allowed them to achieve their salvation. It was the goodness and the faithfulness and the everlasting love of God that rolled out grace. So their grace is there for them through their faith and their belief in him. And they've still got some works that we still have to look at that don't look all that wonderful and don't look all that much like the things that I want to believe you should look like and I should look like and we should look like. And I'm reminded of a scripture in Matthew 23 where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, you clean out the inside of a dish first. And when you clean out the inside, the outside becomes clean. But you start with the inside of that dish. But the truth is we want to start from the outside. We want to shine up the outside, and I think half the time we'd be just as happy if people would clean up their good works and their outside and leave the inside of their dish nasty as it was when they came so that that's all we had to look at. I mean, can you imagine if, I came to, if you came to my house and I gave you a dish and I said, oh, there's some crusty smoothie left on the outside, but the, inside, but the outside looks good. We cleaned the outside of it. Don't worry about what, but that's how we walk around. We get ready to come together here and we make sure that we look prepared. And we think and we filter and we curate what we put out on our social media channels to make sure that we look good. But on the inside, have we let his grace permeate us? On the inside, have we let it come all the way through us? Are we more concerned about if our neighbors have received his grace down on the inside than we are about if the outside of them? The truth is that we are upset by the audacity of grace that it is not just there, that it'll just not go out and not care to explain it to us and not care to justify itself to us and not care to let us in on grace. It's just like, I'm just here. Jesus says, I just rolled it out and poured it out and made it available and accessible to anyone and it's messier than you want it to be and it has totally upset the program and Jesus is not here to play by your rules or to play by the thing that you think ought to be done. Jesus is here to totally upset the program and he doesn't have to explain it or justify it to anybody. And the book of John records this story, a story that might be familiar to some of us, might not be familiar to others of us. It's found in the book of John, chapter 8. It's a story about this woman and these Pharisees and this crowd and Jesus. This woman who it says the Pharisees caught in the act of adultery in in the act of adultery and they find her and they drag her to Jesus they take her to Jesus who is in the middle of teaching to a crowd 
Now, I just want you, because if you've been in church, you probably have heard this story, but I want you to just take a step back and really play this scene out. This woman has just been caught in the act of adultery, and these Pharisees, the Pharisees are the religious elite of the day, and I know we like to shove it off on the Pharisees, like who cares about them, and they never know what's going on, but you and I, if you've been in church for more than about a year, have a lot more in common with the Pharisees than we do with anybody else in the scripture, because the Pharisees are the people always keeping the rules and trying to keep the standard and make sure that the name of God is held up high, worrying about what they think it means to hold up God's name instead of asking him what he wants his name to be reflected as. We should look when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and examine our own hearts. So you and I grab this woman and they drag her to the feet of Jesus. Now, it says in the story, they still don't quite know what Jesus is doing, but they've paid attention long enough that they know that they're trying to catch him in a trap. They're trying to test him. And they drag this woman out in front of all of these people. I mean, can you imagine being the crowd? You're just there to hear a Bible story from Jesus. And these jokers, I mean, the t can you feel the tension? They're like, we were just sitting here talking, and all of a sudden, I mean, you can hear the whispering happening. If they had phones, somebody's pulling it out, because they're like, I'm not missing this. This is crazy. Like, have you ever been in a store, and you see a couple that, like, starts going at it? You know, like, they're fighting at the store, and you're like, oh, my God. But you kind of want to know what's going on, too. So you're, like, lingering, and you're like, oh, do we like spaghetti or panay pasta in our house? Yup. Mm -hmm. The crowd has now taken on the casual, they, like, they want to pretend like they're disinterested, but they're also very curious about how this is about to go down. And I have no idea what the disciples are doing. They're just like, Jesus, what you gonna do with this one? Oh my. Jesus is standing off with the Pharisees and the disciples are like, what do you think he's gonna do? I don't know, what do you think he's gonna do? This is about to go down. And the Pharisees are ready. They have come, they have come prepared with stones and rocks in hand bringing this woman to the feet of Jesus and they are laying out for Jesus exactly what it is that they should be able to do, that they want to be able to stone her because that is what the law says that they have the right to do. They have come to Jesus for a stoning party, ready to throw down. Why are church people always so mean? Why are they so angry? Why are they so ready to throw stones at this woman? They are there. They came with stones, hoping, waiting, ready, anticipating their opportunity to throw a stone at this woman who has just been found in what have must, must have been a terribly embarrassing, awkward, painful, vulnerable situation and has now been drug out here. And I don't have to point out to you that there ought to be two people in the story, but there was only one person who was brought to the feet of Jesus. This woman has been left on her own and she is out here getting ready to take the blame. And these mean Pharisees have come 
come with their stones in hand. And this is my theory. My theory is that they have been suffering for the Lord their whole life. They have been fighting the good fight of faith. They've been working so hard all their life to make sure they are holy and to make sure they are righteous and to make sure that they keep the line. And when they find out that there is someone who has not been suffering in the way that they have suffered and who has not been working in the way they have been working and who has not been fighting in the way that they have been fighting, they want her to suffer like they have suffered. They want her to feel the pain in the way that they have felt the pain. They want her to be inflicted in the way that they have been inflicted. There is something in our human nature that when we have suffered, we want you to suffer in the way that I have suffered. We want others to feel the turmoil that we have felt. We want others to feel the infliction that we, it's not fair, they think, that she has just been drugged to the feet of Jesus and that anything should happen except for that she should feel the full weight of the law in the same way that they have felt the full weight of the they want her to suffer I have this friend and she and her husband just had their first baby and they're doing this like multi-generational family living thing right which is super cool. And it's really common in a lot of other cultures. It's not very common in our culture. And so I'm watching her and she's telling me about it. And, and I have three kids who I have raised and Phil and I have amazing support. My parents are a great support to us. We have lots of people that are amazing help to us, but we're the only people that live in our house. And so my friend's telling me about her situation and she's telling me, you know, how, how much of a help the parents are with the baby. And she's telling me how, you know, sometimes the baby has a rough night overnight. And so she brings the baby downstairs and the parents take care of it. And then she goes back upstairs and goes to sleep. And when I tell you the Holy Spirit had to check me, I was like, what you mean you go back to sleep when the baby has a bad night? That's not, that's not how that works. When the baby has a bad night, you drink an extra cup of coffee and you're tired. And I was working and I was like, man, God, why am I so upset by this? And at the end of the day, it's because I want her to suffer <laughs> the way that I have suffered. I have been tired, you know? I have been woken up multiple times and then got up and gone. I want her to feel the pain that I've felt. And the Pharisees want this woman to suffer the way that they have suffered. And they drag her to the feet of Jesus. And they say, what you gonna do, Jesus? The law says we get to stone her. It's weird language, we get to stone her now. That's strange, but that's what they say. And it says Jesus just gets down in the dirt. And he just starts writing in the dirt for a couple minutes, just bringing all attention right on him where it needs to be. And then it says he stands back up and he looks at them. And he says, whoever of you has no sin, you can throw the first stone. 
and then he goes back down and he just starts riding again riding in the dirt and it doesn't tell us what he writes in the dirt man that drives me nuts I've read this chapter so many times and I always want to know it's like on my top five questions when I get to heaven come on Jesus what'd you write in that dirt but it reminds me two things it reminds me that Jesus is willing to get down in the dirty messy parts of our life And it reminds me that there's a part of grace that just doesn't make any sense and you don't have to know and understand all the details. It says that he starts writing in the dirt and there's all kinds of theories about what it is. I don't know what it was, but I know that it says from oldest to youngest, I'd say from wisest to most foolish, they start dropping their stones and they walk away. They walk away from this woman, and when everyone has left, Jesus looks at the woman and he says, who's left to accuse you? Anyone? She says, no, no one's here. She looks up probably for the first time since they've drug her all the way across town, and she looks straight in the face of Jesus. And he says, then neither do I. Go away. Your sins are forgiven, and sin no more. And she goes out from the place of Jesus, being freed from sin, walking in grace. A grace has been given to her. Grace was given to her first. She had zero works to offer. The last scene in her life was a scene that she was hoping that nobody would ever see and nobody would ever know about. It was something unseeable. It was something unexcusable. It was something that she knew good and well. She had no business being. That is the last work that she had to offer up before they drug her all across town right down to the feet of Jesus and Jesus said grace says you don't deserve it you shouldn't have gotten it but my favor is for you even still and he sends her on her way in the midst of her trouble in the midst of her situation in the midst of everything that she knew good and well she had no business being a part of grace was still there for her it's why grace comes first and when we roll out the carpet every week and when we roll out the carpet every Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday of our life we roll out a carpet with grace first that says in the midst of your addiction come on in grace is here for you in the midst of whoever confusing people you're sleeping with come on in grace is here for you in the midst of that turmoil in your life come on in grace is here for you in the midst of cheating come on in grace is here for you grace is here for you and it covers you still while they're still doing it still while they're still addicted still while they're still yup 
That's how grace works. Right there when I don't deserve it, it shows on up. Right there when I know this isn't what I should be doing, it shows on up in my life. Grace is there in the midst. And guess what? It's there for you too with your gossiping self. And it's there for you too with your lying self. And it's there for you too with your angry self. And it's there for you too with your jealousy that's working on your heart. And it's there for you too with your insecurities that downplay who God made you to be. His grace is still there right when we're in the midst of it. It says she was in the very act of it. While you are in the very act of the thing that makes you farthest from God, of the thing that makes you feel most unworthy, of the thing that makes you feel like, I hope nobody ever knows that I think this thought, and I hope that nobody ever knows that I shoot this drug, and I hope that nobody ever knows that I know this person right there. In the midst of that moment, his grace was there for her, and it said that grace led first. It is by his grace that he poured out his love on her. And he said, just come on home because his grace is big enough and his grace is good enough. And just because you've suffered doesn't mean somebody else has to suffer. His grace goes first. And because I know somebody's worried, he did tell her to go her way and sin no more. And I think she probably did for a little bit. You know, I think she tried. My experience with humans leads me to believe there was a time or two in her life that she didn't exactly line up with the woman that she hoped to be after she gazed on the face of Jesus. I think that because there's been a time or two in my life since I gazed in the face of Jesus that I haven't exactly been the woman that I hoped I would be every day of my life. But yes, he tells her to go her way and to sin no more. And yes, works come. And Because I know some of you are nervous that we weren't going to get there. And here you already, I was in the comment section, which I know, you don't have to tell me, but I was in the comments on this post, and this guy was like, but let's not forget about discipleship, which discipleship matters, right? It does. But how come when you say that, it's always because, like, you want somebody to tell somebody why they're wrong in their life, you know? I know. So I commented back and I said, define discipleship. I'm waiting for his response. This was last night. I'll let you guys know what happens. It's exciting. But this is the thing. It, of course, grace by faith leads us into good works. And here's the thing about our good works. There are two forms of works, inner works and outer works. His grace fills me. And when his grace fills me, it starts to do a work on my inner world. And there are new works that begin happening on the inside of me. The way that I think and the way that I feel 
and the way that I see myself and the way that I see others. And he starts uprooting things that were said to me that don't align with what he says about me. And he starts uprooting those places where I've been wounded and where I've been hurt before. And he starts pouring in his love and his grace and his goodness and his mercy and filling in all the gaps where someone should have and didn't in my life and the spaces and the places that no one ever could have because it's been waiting and longing for Jesus. There are inner works that happen and then there is an outer work that begins to happen in my life where all of the sudden I want to compliment other people because I'm so happy about what he's done for me. And I want to serve and I want to be generous and I want to show up and find how I can help and I want to tell other people about his faithfulness. There are inner works and there are outer works that begin to happen on the inside of us and all of it is God working through us. There's nothing about it that's us doing the effort. There's nothing about it that's us making it, forcing it, creating it, making this thing happen. The thing that I get concerned about is that we want God to work on people's outer works first. And specifically, we want God to work on the things in other people that offend us most. Not the things that offend him most or the things that are most helpful and healing to that person. We just don't want to have to see that. So God, if you would work on that thing first, that, I find that offensive to me. That's not really what I want to have to look at when I come in church on a Sunday. That's not really what I want to have to deal with. And the truth is that in some ways we're really more concerned about preserving the brand of our Christianity than we are about preserving the grace of his goodness that God came to set forth. We don't want people talking about how we're part of a faith that lets people do whatever. We don't want to have to tell people how we're a church that lets people whatever your thing is that offends you. We don't want to have to deal with that. We don't want to have to let people walk through their process and and know that it is his grace that brought them into a place of faith. It is his grace that said that you can come. It has nothing to do with what they're doing. We're more interested in introducing people to a list of good works, into introducing people to a list of rules, into introducing people to some regulations that will help them fit and make me more comfortable with the way that things are when I come in here so that I don't ever have to encounter anything that's outside of my comfort zone. We're more interested in that than we are. Have you come and met Jesus? Have you gazed into his face? Proverbs says it's the glory of kings to overlook an offense. It's the glory of kings to say, ooh, that offends me, and I'm going to look right past that. I'm going to jump right on over it and be grateful for grace that covers you in the midst of it, in the way that it covers me in the midst of it. But we want to run after the works, and it upsets me 
when Jesus doesn't play by my rules. It upsets me when he lets his grace go to just everybody. You know? Like, he was serious when he said whoever. And sometimes I'm like, Jesus. We were talking about, like, a little bit tighter parameters on this, and he's like, nope. I said them. And them too. And that group that right now in your brain, you're like, yeah, but, yup. Them too. Them too. He said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. And he teaches us the art of what Paul told the church in Philippi, to work out your own salvation. You ever notice how I want to work out your salvation? I got a lot of thoughts about your salvation. I got a lot of thoughts about your holiness. I got a lot of thoughts about your walk with Jesus. But how about you let the Holy Spirit deal with them on their walk, and you let the Holy Spirit deal with you on your own walk? And we work out our own salvation. Because here, I think, is the problem, that we have exported a message that is inaccurate about what it means to be a believer, about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We have sent out a message that is not the message that Jesus sent out. Some of you have lived overseas or, or came from overseas. And if you've lived overseas or if you have moved here from overseas, you know that the international perception of America is somewhat skewed from accuracy because we have exported a lot of reality shows. And if you've ever lived overseas, people come up to you and they've been watching a lot of like Jersey Shore and Real Housewives and The Bachelor. And they're like, is that what it's like to live in America? And you're like, oh no. Is this what they think of us? And you're like, no, no, no. That's not what my week looks like. Right? And kind of we've done the same thing as a church community, as followers of Jesus. We have exported some things. We have exported some messages that when they play it back to us, you're like, is that what, oh, is that what they think it's like to be part of this? Oh, no. No, let me, let me tell you what it's like to be part of this. Let me tell you how broken I am. Let me tell you how his goodness keeps me every day of my life. Let me tell you how I've been walking with him for a long time and I still got some stuff that I'm trying to sort out. Let me, let me explain to you that the message that you've seen isn't the message that Jesus came to send. 
let me just walk. And I know that we've messed it up because people say things to us like, when I get it together, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back in right relationship with, with God. I know, I know I need to get back in church, but I just, I got some things that I need to get sorted out first. The, the undertone of that message is I need to do some, I, I've got my works out front. I need some works that I have to do so that my faith can be strong enough so that I might be able to receive his grace. Somehow we've sent that message that you gotta do some works. I had a girl say to me one time when I was in college, yeah, I know, I think that God thing is probably good, but I just, I, I, wanna, get through, I wanna get through college first. You know what she was saying? I wanna party. I wanna party for a couple years and then I'm gonna try and sort out my life and get back in. You know what? I know. Party on and come look at his face. Do what you're gonna do and come look at his face. Let his grace be enough for you in the midst of it. Let his goodness be enough for you in the midst of it. Don't stay away from him because of what you did on Saturday night. Don't stay away from him because who you were with on Thursday. In the midst of the moment, come to him. In the midst of the moment, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your brokenness, come on and look in the face of Jesus. It's going to upset some people because they want Jesus to punish you. It's going to upset some people because they wish they could throw a rock at you. It's going to upset some people because they just suffered too much and they want you to suffer the way that they have. But come to him anyway and let his grace be poured out on your life. Let his grace, his grace is enough for you. His grace is enough for you. Who logged on today because you weren't sure if you were allowed to come into the room? Who logged on today because you're not sure if the people in your world should know that you're kind of into this God thing, but you don't think you're good enough, you're not. It's not our suffering, it's his suffering that poured out and is a grace for each and every one of us. You who are here right now and you're like, yeah, but if they knew, he already knows. He says, come to me, come to me, come to me. Look around, who accuses you? Then neither does he. Go on your way. Go, you know what really messes up your theology? There's not one point in this story where this woman apologizes or confesses or anything like that. Jesus just looks at her and says, go ahead, go ahead then. Just look on who he is and accept his grace. Right now, if that's you and you're going, I didn't, I thought that I had to get some things together and I was gonna kind of maybe start coming or I was gonna start logging on sometimes, but I got, I got some stuff I gotta quit doing. I got some people I gotta stop being around and I was gonna try and kind of get all that together so I could come and present myself to Jesus. Let me just break the whole thing all the way down. Don't wait. Today 
is the day. Now is the moment. In the midst of your sin, in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of that thing that you're embarrassed about, today is the day to say yes to Jesus. Everyone who's able to can stand right now all across the room because some people are getting ready to come home to Jesus. Because his presence is in the room, because his grace is in the room, because his goodness is in the room right now.